0: You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be warned. Be wise, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Oh, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me start by saying this sermon has nothing to do with the election. And in one sense, it has everything to do with the election. But I began considering this psalm very closely long before this presidential election and even long before the 2016 elections. And as for a sermon, I've been thinking about it for months. So I'm not preaching today because of the current electoral tension that we're in. I'm, I'm saying this because I don't want you to think that I'm going to give you a topical sermon about what's going on. I didn't choose Psalm 2 because it was relevant to the times. Um, I don't know enough, and I'm not wise enough to tell you what the recent events mean and how they're going to play out. And I'm not just saying that I don't know who's going to end up in the Oval Office, and you know, by March, I I don't know that. But I don't even know truly know who would make a better one. I mean, I cast my vote, and there was I had a measure of confidence. You know, I thought about it for for a long time to figure out, okay, which, what, how, and can I, and all of that. But there was no certainty, because. Candidates don't always follow through on their promises. And not just because, you know, the saying all politicians are liars, right? And the ones who aren't are lying to you, right? I mean, not just because of that. They don't keep their promises because they're not able to. You know, they need to weigh a thousand things in the balance. Congress might not approve of their plan. Nations will go to war. Judges don't rule the way that they're expected to. And plagues lay waste to the economy, and the populace. So I, I, don't, ha- I don't know what's going to happen in the next four years. I don't know what's going to happen in the next four months when it comes to do with the presidency. And Joe Biden and Donald Trump don't know what will happen in the next four years. But I do know, and what I'm going to preach on, is what's been happening for the last 4,000 years and even longer. And I do know what the final future holds for America. Because the Lord has spoken to his people and his word is true. His promises don't come to us from a campaign trail. It's not a stump speech. He's not trying to entice us into making him king. His promises come from the kingly throne. And they come with all the power to keep them. So Psalm 2 does have everything to do with this election because it has to do with everything. Here we're going to find the history of every nation and people. We're going to find out the secret motives behind all these current events. We're going to see the final end of every person in this psalm. So let's consider what this psalm says together. Psalm 2 is made up of Four sections, three verses each. The psalmist, David, first records how the nations rage against God and his his anointed. And then God's response to the nation's rebellion. The anointed remembering God's promise. And finally, the only options for the nations, wrath or refuge in the anointed. So David really has written the points of this sermon as well, the three points. Nations rage, God's response, anointed remembering, and even the conclusion is given to us, wrath or refuge in the anointed. The nations rage. David begins by questioning the foolishness of the nations, They plot useless things, vain things. They try to overthrow God. They think that there is a better way to live than what God has designed. But notice, first of all, who David is really speaking about here. He says, the nations, the peoples, the kings, and the rulers. Now, who's that group? Who does that include? And surely, kings and rulers, they're, they're the people with authority, right? We can, we can pretty well, they don't call themselves kings anymore usually, but we, we pretty well know who they are. But what about nations and peoples? Well, that's just a blanket term for everybody. That's just everyone. So this indictment that David says, why, why do the peoples do this? He's saying, everyone's doing this. You and I, we're all doing this. The New Testament quotes this psalm more than anything else from the Old Testament. Um, Acts chapter 4, which I read as the prayer at the beginning, uh, Peter notes how Herod and Pontius Pilate were both set against God's anointed, his Messiah, his Christ, which are both just the Hebrew and Greek words for anointed. He says not just the Gentiles, but God's own people were against God and his Christ. And not just the ruling authorities. It was the common people who when Pilate asked, what do you want me to do with the one who is called Christ? It was the common blue-collar folks who said, crucify him, crucify him. So it's always wrong to start your Bible reading and, and have your first question be, oh, where am I here? You know, don't open your Bible and ask, where am I here? Because you're, you're not in here right away. The Bible is about God about what he's done with his people, and it does apply to us. But don't start with, oh, this is directly to me right today. But the Bible does talk about us, and it's never flattering. We are here at the beginning of Psalm 2. Along with all humankind, we're here, rebelling, raging against God, And I just want you to see, it's not just rulers and authorities. It's not just kings. It's everyone. Every human being rebels against God. We all rage against God. And this is how we do it. Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. We all want to throw off God's bonds and cords. And what are those? They're his commandments. They're his righteous rules. There is a way of telling us this is how you should live. This is what is good. This is the way. Walk in it. But we don't like being ruled by him. We want to go our own way. We do not think that his yoke and his burden are easy and light. Because we'd rather be the ones making the rules. We think that we would do a better job of being God than God. You know, we look up at heaven and we kind of, you know, we're we're not actually raising our fists, but that's what we're doing. Who is he to tell me how I have to live? Who is he to tell me how I use my time, my money, lead my family? Who's he to tell me who I can and can't marry or who I can and can't sleep with? Or who is he to tell me that I have to treat those as my neighbors and love them? Who I have to welcome, how I have to live? Who does he think he is to judge me? for my private thoughts in my private moments. I'm not hurting anybody, but is he going to judge me for it? Oh, fat chance, right? That's how we think. That's how we act. It might not be open rebellion, but it's certainly, ah, if I feel like it. Maybe if it suits me, I'll listen to you, God for some ridiculous and foolhardy reason, we think that we can just ignore God and get away with it. Just because everybody's doing it. All the nations, all the peoples, the kings and the rulers are all together. We've all agreed. We're not going to listen to God. If we ignore God, what's he going to do about it? If everybody ignores God, what can he do? He laughs. That's the first thing he does. He laughs. Not because a rebellion is comical, but because it's pitiful. So, as we've had, I guess it's, you'd call it fall. I, I don't know if I've experienced a fall in North Dakota for a few years, but, you know, fall. It's gotten kind of colder and warmer and whatever, and I feel like a thousand box elder bugs have invaded my home. And... Some of you may also know what that's like. Seems like a never-ending struggle, where I squish one, and three more take its place. But what if I were to open up a cupboard and see, oh, it's, it's their secret war room, where they're making all the plans. They've drawn up charts, this is their plan of attack, and they were all there, ready, they were standing at attention. You know, a thousand of them. And, and their plan was to kick me out of my house and live there without me. Now, should I be shaking in my boots or should I introduce them to the vacuum cleaner? What are they going to do? God is not worried at all about the nation's plans to dethrone him. And when you just look at how David describes God, what does he say? He who sits in the heavens laughs. He's not frantically planning a counterattack. He's sitting on a throne, not just on earth, but in heaven. So far above all the thrones of the earth that they mean nothing to him. Not a single metaphorical muscle is unnerved by our rebellion. God just continues to bringing about his plan, whether we like it or not. We don't want him or his Christ to rule over us. And so, in response to that veto of ours, God says, Okay, well, I and my Christ am going to rule over you. Maybe you've witnessed dinner time in a home with, with young children, and, you know, there's something on the plate that the child doesn't want to eat. He says something like, well, I don't want to eat my broccoli. Now do the parents fret and wring their hands and think, oh, I don't know what to do about this. How can I make my child eat, eat his broccoli? Oh, no. No. He says, well, you're going to eat it. That's the answer. I don't want to eat my broccoli. Well, you're gonna. There's There's no... Fear in that rebellion. And we look up at heaven and say, well, you know what? We we actually don't really want you to be God. Um, We've all taken a vote and decided that we'd rather be God instead. To which God says, well, I am God and you are not. This third section now changes perspectives again. We see how the Lord's anointed responds to all that has taken place. The nations don't want him to rule over them. But God nonetheless has made him their king. Because he is God's son. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. And this psalm is about David and all of his descendants who sat on the throne of Israel. But it finds its final fulfillment in Jesus Christ who is David's son and David's Lord, because he is God's son. And in the very beginning of the book of Romans, Paul describes Jesus this way, says, who is descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the son of God according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. The resurrection serves as proof that Jesus is divine, the Son of God, and he has the right to rule all the nations. The crucifixion, they put upon him a crown of thorns to mock him, but it was a kingly crown. They raised him up upon a cross, but it was lifting him up to reign. And the resurrection was the inauguration of his eternal rule. No one can defy him. Death lays dead in his tomb that he got up and walked out of. And the whole earth belongs to Christ. God says to him, the whole earth is mine. I made it and I give it to you. It's yours to rule. Do what you want with the nations. Make them bow to you by any means necessary. Jesus has Every right to do what this psalm says. Break the nations with a rod of iron. The nations that are described as bits of pottery. What happens if you take like a terracotta flower pot and you just swing a sledgehammer at it? I mean, who is winning? He has that right. He's been given that by God the Father. And in fact, he will make use of that right. Look at Revelation chapter 6. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne. And from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come. And who can stand? We rage. God laughs. And Jesus rules. This rebellion that started with Adam, but I've participated in and you've participated in, The whole earth's rebellion against God and Jesus Christ could just be described like this. A bundle of wet toilet paper tried to stop a freight train. There were no survivors. We can't fight him. We don't understand the magnitude between us and him. A fight suggests that there's a chance that either side might win. But even if all of creation, angels, demons, heaven, and hell, were to go against Jesus Christ, it would not be a fight. It would be a slaughter. But in this psalm, we see that there is a refuge. Because Jesus did not slaughter his enemies. Rather, he let himself be slaughtered by his enemies. So that he could be the refuge for his enemies. Kiss the Son, serve him with fear, and rejoice with trembling. When that day comes, the nations say to the mountains, fall on us and hide us from God. But there is no hiding from God's wrath when that day comes. We can't hide from Jesus Christ when that day comes, but we can hide in Jesus Christ. But I'm not entirely convinced we really understand what that means, because a lot of times the way that we present the gospel sends the wrong message. We'll say things like, just trust Jesus. Accept him into your heart. Just pray this simple prayer, and act as if that's the entirety of what the gospel is. As if Jesus were just a homeless man with a cardboard sign, hoping for our charity. As if giving him the leftover bits of our lives is really actually worship. Saying to him, Jesus, you know what? You, you know what? I think you're great. I'm going to give you, um, let's see, I've got 15 minutes right now, and then after I'm done with my other things, maybe I'll have some more time. We end up believing and therefore living as if Jesus is the one who needs us. But the exceedingly good news is that Jesus does not need us. God does not need us. He doesn't need to save us. If he had chosen not to save anyone, if every member of the human race were suffering in hell right now, God would be no less holy, no less glorious, no less worthy of praise. He would still be perfectly just and even loving if he sent us all into hell. It's not his need, but ours. Jesus does hold his hands out to you right now, but he is not pleading with you because he needs you, because you're too precious for him to lose. He is pleading with you because he is too precious for you to lose. Jesus is the king of all creation. We don't make him that. He is the king of all creation. Whether you accept him or not, whether you love him or not, whether you believe in him or not, this psalm shows us that the gospel isn't meant just to make us feel better about ourselves. In fact, it's not meant at all to make us feel better about ourselves. The gospel shows us how truly amazing God is, not how great we are. Because we hated him. We wanted to be rid of him. We thought, let's just not have anything to do with him and our lives will be great. And he could have just been done with us. Instead, he died for us. There aren't words that can fully describe that. So, don't accept Jesus. I'm not saying accept Jesus, because he doesn't need your acceptance. Don't make him Lord, because he doesn't need you to make him Lord. He is Lord. He is accepted of God the Father, sitting at the right hand, reigning So don't think that a conversion experience happens when you accept him. No. Run to him. Flee to him and say something like, I'm a sinner, Jesus. There is no good in me. There's nothing to recommend me to you. But you promise to accept sinners. You promise to forgive. and I'm pleading with you to do it now, to throw yourself at Jesus' feet. Do you feel that you're unworthy? Great. Those are the only people he accepts. Are you afraid that you are lost? The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Satan will tell you a lie and say that you have, You should wait till there's a better time. But there is no better time. You may die tonight. And I'm not telling you that to scare you. I'm just telling you the truth. Jesus may return before we're done singing the hymn. Today is the day of salvation. Fly to him. You have no hope besides him. Don't bring anything to him except yourself and your sins. He knows what to do with them. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. He doesn't just make us better people. That's not what Christ is about not about taking good people and making them better. He's about making dead people alive.